We made this. to Life's Milestones, the podcast on the We Made This Podcast Network about birth and naming ceremonies, relationships and weddings, and death and funerals. I'm your host Mark Adams and I am a humanist celebrant. That means that I write and present non-religious ceremonies for people from all walks of life. Today's guest is my first international guest. She is Brandy Jackala, and she is an American lady who is a former Mormon. Not a Mormon anymore, but she does go into that quite heavily on the podcast itself. But before we get to that, little bit of housekeeping. If you listen to Life's Milestones, you are entitled to a 10% discount on a naming ceremony or a wedding ceremony that is written and performed by me. If you want to do that, make sure you mention the code MILESTONES in your message when you contact me. But at the time of recording, we are still in a COVID-19 related lockdown of some description including a heavier lockdown where I live in Manchester. So the restrictions are different around the country at the time. I'm keeping up to date on that. So if you do drop me a message, I can advise you on what the current government regulations are. As it is, a lot of people are actually getting in touch for bookings for 2021 and 2022. So if you do want to start to plan your wedding or naming ceremony, please do get in touch because, you know, I will start to run out of dates next year, particularly as I've had to reschedule all of my 2020 dates to there as well. So Brandy, she's just brilliant. I put out a message on a private message board for We Made This Podcast hosts and she pounced on me. She really wanted to come on and talk about this kind of thing with me. And so I was like, wow, an American. I can grill her. (laughs) And I did. I really liked the opportunity to speak to someone from a different country and to compare and contrast the differences between the rituals and the culture and a lot of the different things, mainly to do with funerals. But also we looked at namings and weddings as well. But I did jump on her straight away. And I don't think she minded. (laughs) So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to my interview. With Brandy. With me at this time is Brandy Jackala. Hello, Brandy. Well, hello, Mark. How are you? I'm about as well as can be expected at the current time. Although this is going out about a month afterwards. So who knows? We might have a cure. We're not going to have a cure. (laughs) No, we're not. That's just not the way vaccines work. It takes a year to a year and a half to find something effective that you can actually turn loose on the people so yeah yeah how are you anyway uh you know as well as can be expected also (laughs) (laughs) so brandy it is lovely to have you on the show my my first international guest Ooh, i feel special well you are special because i am going to grill you about the differences between the kind of culture of British people and American people when it comes to birth 
weddings and funerals. Probably more to do with funerals because you're all weirdos who like to have open caskets with like dead people looking at you and all that shit. I hate that so much. Right, I, I've seen Six Feet Under. I know what you're all like because that's obviously completely what American people are. Oh, yeah, well, that is that is what people do, but I hate it. I, I do not like... Well, they, they do what they call a viewing where everyone gets to come and look at the dead body and express their condolences. And I do not like that. I think it's disrespectful. I think it's morbid. And I'm a goth, so if I think it's gross, <laughs> it is. But that doesn't happen at all in Britain. Uh, great. Almost impossible. I, I, I guess it's possible to have it done. But the only people that would have it done were probably people who are particularly fond of American culture. But we'll talk about... We'll, right, we'll come back to that when we talk <laughs> about funerals. I, I, I feel like I, I, it just gushed because it's Six okay. Feet Under freaked me out. Brilliant telly show. Freaked me out. Looked it up and apparently it's your norm. Unfortunately, yes, it is. Uh, anyway... We'll talk about you first, rather than me going, rather than me using you as as an American to to kind of like grill about Americanness. Okay. We're going to talk about you properly. Right. So first of all, I know it's quite a rude question, but how old are you? I am forty seven years old. Okay, so you are just a smidge older than me, Gen Xer type person. Yes, exactly. So where are you from, and what is your background? Well, I was born in a small town called Bountiful, Utah, which is now a much more bigger town. Utah is full of what the world colloquially refers to as Mormons. It's like okay. being, uh, it's like living in Vatican City, but it's for the LDS church. So, uh, yeah, I was born here and I was mostly raised both in Salt Lake City, which is the capital city of Utah, and Centerville, which is about mm, 10 miles north of there. My grandmother, my mother's mother, was an extremely controlling bipolar person and uh, was very emotionally and mentally abusive and had very tight control over my parents. So uh, when both my parents had to work, we typical middle-class family, you know, it's gone were the days of just one parent working. It just didn't work anymore, especially with mm. three kids. So my grandmother stepped in and said, well, you know, I'll, I'll take the kids during the day. But it got to the point where we would be left there overnight and it used, and it got to be a privilege to go home with mom and dad. Wow, I hated, wow. did not like that at all. All. Plus, we were used as slave labor because my grandmother managed an apartment building. It wasn't a huge apartment building, but uh, we were used to sweep sidewalks, wash windows, vacuum hallways, sweep stairs, etc. So, you know how most kids spend a lot of their free time playing? Oh, that was not us. Oh, no. Good grief. Playing was also a privilege. So you feel like your your background is almost like a a working background in a way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There was a lot of working. There was a lot of working and not a lot of playing. 
So, yeah. And my grandmother wielded guilt like a weapon. If you did anything that she didn't approve of or didn't like, she would say, why do you want to hurt me like that? Wow. Like it was some kind of personal attack on her. And she had done this to my mother. My mother, in turn, had learned that behavior and was doing it to us. My mother did break the cycle. She actually was able to understand that she was doing this. And mm. we went to family counseling for a little while. And it helped her get past that. But, uh, yeah, big cycle of abuse. <laughs> Again, I'm about as British as it is possible to be. And family counselling is something completely alien to me. Do you want to explain how it works? Because honestly, most British people will have only heard of what it is. They won't have experienced it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's basically like one-on-one -on -one counselling, but the whole family is there and everybody gets their turn to talk. And the gentleman who was the counsellor, and I'm afraid I can't remember his name. I can see his face, but I cannot remember his name. This was, well, gosh, how old am I, 47? So this was about 33 years ago, so forgive me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we all went to counselling, and everybody had their say about what they felt the problems were. And this counsellor helped my mother understand that her manipulation was causing a lot of these problems and that she wasn't even right. aware of doing it. So, mm. and both my sisters, I mean, every one of us, all three of us kids have been to counseling at one time or another. I'm not going to go into how it turned out for the other two, but of course not. for me, it was a good growing experience. And then I went through a terrible experience a bit later in life in which I had individual counseling and it changed my life for the better, even mm. though I'd gone through what to me was like my world ending. It changed my life for the better, and I have kept those lessons to this day. So, yeah, also I have bipolar disorder, so that's fun. And, <laughs> <laughs> and boy, it's fun when you find that out finally. That was, that was when, with the second counselor, when it was one-on-one, -on -one, she's like, you know, I think that you have this. And I think that there are ways that we can help work on that. And, and I think bipolar is something that people have started to understand a lot more in the last, mm -hmm. maybe only four or five years since there's been some kind of high profile celebrity cases. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a weirdo. I'm a wrestling fan. So am I. Well, the guy that made me understand, research and know bipolar better was... Mauro Ranallo, because I think he's a fantastic commentator. And the idea that someone who is that good would ever have the idea that he isn't good at what he does boggled my mind. So it allowed me to understand better because of Mauro. Yeah, it is, it is not an easy thing. And I do have medication for it, which... You know, people can say what they want about our over-medicated society. But for me, it's like I take this pill twice a day and I don't feel like slitting my wrists in the bathtub. I feel like I can actually get up in the morning and face the world. So to me, it's like if I were diabetic and needed insulin, 
it's it's the same way for me and my medication for my bipolar disorder because it keeps me balanced. I'm not saying that it takes away all the bad things. It does mm. not. It just makes me able to handle bad things in a different way. I think the different cultures of pharmaceuticals in Britain and America are fascinating. It scares the hell out of me the kind, some of the kind of stuff that you can get over the counter. But mm. it also scares the hell out of me some of the kind of stuff that we can't get over the counter. Perfect example is gay men can't access PrEP. If yeah. we want PrEP, we have to buy it from America. Wow, that's crazy. Whereas, obviously, some of the drugs that you can get over the counter in America are completely banned in this country. Like, like I don't know, some of your headache tablets are way over the kind of milligrams that we could get in Britain. Mm. So I, I find it fascinating, the more you look into it, how completely different our countries are. They they are very different, very different. And I also have friends in Australia, and they're even more different than the UK and America. I mean, everybody's got their thing, I guess. So Yeah. And you've got to remember, we're the size, roughly, of one of the 52 states. We're a bit pissy compared to America, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and you know, it just occurred to me there is another important factor that was in my upbringing, and that is that I was raised LDS, which has a lot of strict rules about how uh, you can do things. What, what's LDS? Uh, it's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is right. colloquially referred to as the Mormons. And uh, boy, if there is ever a religion that can make you feel guilty just for existing, it's Mormonism. Right. So are you still Mormon or have you... Oh, God, no. Yes, no. Okay. <laughs> God, no. I do need to get a religious person on at some point. I don't know many religious folk. I, I was raised in it and I was on the books as a member until about 10 years ago because you can right. you can be a lapsed mormon and still you'll know, be technically a member of the church and mm. finally we were able to just get out of that and they had kind of a mass exodus a few years ago when they wow. announced that any child of gay parents at the age of 18 they would have to renounce their parents in order to continue being a member of the church Good and great. Millions of people just said, uh, no, no, sorry, <laughs> but no. Bye. I mean, did they want to lose lots of members? Apparently. Apparently. <laughs> it's just, and they have since relaxed that stance a bit. And see, their whole thing is, you know, all of these instructions come from directly from God. And I'm like, well, God has a funny way of changing his mind about a hell of a lot of things. Because first of all, it's uh, oh, you have to you have to practice polygamy because our numbers are too low, and so every man has to have additional wives. And oh, a few years later, oh no 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 no, polygamy is very bad, very bad. And then it's uh, no black people cannot hold the priesthood. And then in the early seventies, oh oh, it's it's okay for black people to hold the priesthood, but not women. Still, women can't hold the priesthood, and on and on and on. And it's just like God seems a little bipolar himself. Really? <laughs> Especially if you just, even just looking at the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's like, is this the same God? 
Really? You're going to get me into trouble. I'm humanist. I'm, I'm not anti-religious. <laughs> well, it's it's what I've said, and it's I, I do not fault people for embracing religion. I do get no. it. I've been on the other side of that. It just was not for me, and no. I was never so happy as when I stopped going to church. Oh, my Lord. And, of course, finding a partner in life that had the same viewpoints helped a lot my husband helped a lot in that area just just mm. by not judging and just letting me figure out yeah. my own stuff yeah so this is the important one this is where you get to talk about stuff that you want people to know about you what mm. do you do that makes you interesting <laughs> everything i do is interesting no that's not true <laughs> that's a good answer actually. um i'm just i'm just a big old nerd and I am nerdy about so many things. One of the things that seems to still be one of those oh really things is that I'm a huge gamer. I love playing video games and I have been playing hmm. video games since the inception of video games because I remember when I was a child like very very young. It had to be I think maybe I was four, maybe five, there was oh. a home console version of Pong that came out in the United States. Nice. And you, it was literally, that's all it was, was just Pong. And you had to plug it into the TV. And I played that with my father. And mm. uh, a love was born. And I remember that controller was so big in my hand. I'm like, can I, do I even have big enough hands to twist? <laughs> was it a joystick? Oh, no, it was a knob. It was basically right. a thing with just a big knob that you turned left and right to move the little, you know, pixels that would bump that other little pixel back and forth like you yeah, were playing the tennis. square ball. Yeah, the square ball. <laughs> but I think for you and me, Gamer girls were much more rare for folk mm -hmm. in their 40s mm -hmm. than they are for folk in their 20s and, and, and young people now. What, do, do you feel like that was your first kind of I'm different to the rest kind of thing? <laughs> uh, no, that was not my first thing. Honestly, probably my biggest thing that makes me really super different is that how do I describe this? It's a difficult thing to describe and not sound like I'm completely loony. But, uh, okay, anyone who, who has ever watched the television series Firefly will understand this reference, but... Love Firefly. I feel everything all the time and there is no off switch. That's bipolar. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am like River Tam, but without the yeah. massive psychosis. Right. So... Uh, and I realized this at a very young age that I was different. It was, I was probably about five when I realized mm. that I reacted so much more over the top emotionally than absolutely everyone around me. And right. I thought, okay, this is obviously not normal. I need to hide this. And mm. at times when those things popped out, it did go that way that everyone was like, you are, your daughter is too emotional. She's too this, she's too that, she's too shy. She's too, all of these things. So, mm -hmm. but it wasn't until much, much later in life that a, a person that I worked with said, you know, my daughter is just like you. And I think that this book would help you. And it was called The Highly Sensitive Person by Dr. Elaine Aaron. And right. that changed my life because I realized, no, 
there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just really, really rare. There's only about 10% yeah. of the entire planet that react to the world this way. And it can be overwhelming and it can also be extremely helpful because if I meet a person, even just for the first time, just being in their presence, I can usually figure out what their deal is. Right. Okay. I mean, most people are a mix of mostly good, sometimes a little, eh, but we all have those eh, things about ourselves. <laughs> but there are times True. where I have just seen a person from, you know, like a few feet away and gone, oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. No. Right. You're our new manager. Oh, dear God, we're doomed. <laughs> and unfortunately, <laughs> I was right. Did you say that? Mm -mm, mm -mm. No, I didn't say that out loud. But there was talk uh, behind other people's backs. But yeah, it was. <laughs> it's, so that that's something that a lot of people don't know about me or don't really understand what it's like. But my brain is just constantly absorbing input, and it mm. can it can be very very exhausting, especially when I'm trying to go to sleep at night. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, so I'm an emotional gamer girl. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, my dear. So do you want to talk about uh, your podcasts before we start going into the deeper stuff? Although you have been quite deep already. <laughs> oh, I have no problem just hanging out all my dirty laundry for everyone to hear about. <laughs> so I got over that a long time ago. <laughs> so yeah, my podcasts, I do a fair few podcast so buckle in you and me both darling <laughs> uh i've been doing actually a podcast with my husband for quite some time that has uh, changed networks and names a couple at uh, once so but we've been podcasting since 2009 and our current incarnation of that podcast is called the dark corner where we uh just look at whatever things we enjoy from a darker perspective because we are both gothy people so uh, exactly <laughs> we're a fun bunch you all just don't know it so yeah so we do that and uh, we we have done at the time that this uh, comes out we will have done even a an episode on uh, yellow's marble racing which is a great channel on youtube where this this person whoever yella is i don't know where they are from they sound like <laughs> they might be Danish or Scandinavian in some way, but mm. uh, they they have built like these massive racetracks that then you know marbles get shot down, and he it's it's grown into this thing where there are now like Olympic type events that he does. And, Amazing, and it's brilliant and wonderful, and everybody has a team. Like there's there's these this grouping of mostly orangeish marbles that they're called their O-Rangers, and there's some wow. that look like uh, the markings of a duck. They have sort of green and yellow and black, and they're called the green ducks. And all of these, it's just amazing. And, you know, you can find that at darkcornerpodcast.com. And I also do another <laughs> podcast by myself called Headcanon because I'm in my head a lot, y'all. And, okay. you know, you want to take a trip down the chaos that is my brain and all my fandoms, then Headcanon is for you, which you can also find <laughs> at darkcornerpodcast.com. 
All right. I also do like a bunch of Star Trek stuff because Star Trek is one of those things that has always been a part of my life. My parents were literally watching it when I was in the womb. So there was never a time before that. And so I have a couple, uh, three, three, sorry, I have a lot of ideas about Star Trek. <laughs> I do one called the Vedic Assembly, which is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine with my friends Liam and Nick. And then I do Boldly Go, which is about Strange New Worlds, a new series that will be coming out in the next couple of years, is my guess, featuring characters that were resurrected, I guess, is the best way to say, for Star Trek Discovery Season 2 as just guest right. shots, and the world demanded a series and got it. That's weird. Huh. And great. <laughs> so, because it takes a lot to, for you for for a company to just suddenly go, okay, uh, I guess we're going to add this to our production schedule. Yeah, it's it's not like that. It's there's so much that goes into just getting a show greenlit, and as far as that, as much less getting it produced. But I'm excited for that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you can find both of those on the network Hollow Sweet Media on any podcatcher of your choice. There's a third one that is in planning that I cannot talk about yet. And I also Ooh. do a live streaming show on Twitch every Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific time with my friend Aaron Harvey that is called Infinite Trek. And we called it that because we wanted to be able to talk about absolutely any aspect of tre Trek that we wanted, whether it mm. be movies, television, books, comics, games role-playing games, what have you. We can talk about it Ooh. all. And it's going to, it's actually at this point has started, but it's, it's, we start right before Lower Decks comes out, like the week before it comes out. And so we'll have a new show to talk about right off the bat. And you can just find that on Twitch on the channel Outpost 13. Outpost, just the regular spelling of the word and the number 13. And uh, I think that that is all that's running right at this moment. There's another thing that might be resurrected, but I'm not 100% sure, so I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> You're as busy as me. It's very <laughs> rare that I meet someone who podcasts as much as I do. But um, yeah, that's, that's a lot of podcasting. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love podcasting. It's just... It's, me too. It's me getting to talk about the things that I love. Who, who doesn't want that? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's get into the meaty sections. Let's talk about birth. So when and where and how were you born? We have covered this a little bit, I think, but, mm -hmm. you know, it's worth asking a question. Yes, I was born on May 12th, 1973 in Bountiful, Utah. I was three weeks late. Three? Yes. I was supposed to have been born in late April, but I was not. I guess I just wanted a little extra time to cook. No, that it was not my choice because when I was born, I was very long. I was a very long child and I had right. run out of room. I, and my mother said, you basically didn't move at all for like the last month you were in there. Good and she grief. said, I could feel your little feet right up under my ribs. And I said, really? And when I was born, I, I was... She said I looked like a little weenie. <laughs> wow. I, looked like. I was just so rounded because I had just spent so much time being crowded. And I had club feet. My feet were pressed up against my, my front shins because, right. again, had run out of room. So not the most auspicious start to one's life, but better than a lot 
of other things that could have happened. And yeah, uh, yeah so that's that's where and, and how I was born. My mother was in labor for a day, and she I was born the day before Mother's Day. I was born on a Saturday, Aww. and my mom said it was right before lunch, and she was so grateful because she was hungry. So... <laughs> <laughs> So thanks, Mom. All you can think about is just having lunch. I get it. Yes, it's fine. I mean, I mean <laughs> you know, people need to eat. Getting hangry is definitely a thing. Oh, it absolutely is. I'm hypoglycemic, so I am like the poster child for hangry. I, I don't have any excuse. I just get hangry. No, it's it's the it's the worst thing. I have to eat every four hours. I can barely make it past that. And I have used glucose tablets to kind of stave off the monster, uh, if mm -hmm. I'm in a situation where I, I absolutely can't get something to eat, but I always have food upon my person wherever I go, because I just mm. never know when that blood sugar is just going to plummet into the depths of hell. And I become a monster that cannot control what comes out of her mouth. So tell me a favorite story from your childhood. You have kind of like touched on some of the less pleasant Mm. parts of each other tell me something fun tell me something that a funny story about each other oh gosh um one story there there are lots of stories there were there were good times don't get me wrong uh i did get bullied a lot at school so there are not a lot of happy school memories but one memory that i did have and it's not a complete memory because again this is literally like second grade so okay so i should explain that my older sister uh, she's three years older than i am and mm. she would come home from school and then play school with me. And she would do all the lessons that she had learned at school. That's adorable. I know. I accidentally learned how to read. So at about three, three and a half years old, I was reading. And my, my parents did not believe me. Because <laughs> I, was, I was like on the living room floor and I had a newspaper spread out. And I was reading the newspaper and my mother's like, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm reading the paper. And she laughed. <laughs> she says, yeah. oh, oh, you are, are you? Well, what are you reading in the paper? And I said, it's called the want ads. <laughs> and she said, oh, you're reading the want ads. All right, well, read some to me. And so I started reading the want ads to her and she freaked out. <laughs> You were three. Yeah, she came over and she snatched up that paper and she's, she's like, our child can read. How did this happen? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, kindergarten, which is ba the first school experience uh, out of preschool. I never went to preschool. That wasn't as big of a thing when I was a kid. So I didn't go to preschool and went straight to kindergarten, which is what you do when you're about five years old and uh, right. about a month into the school year they called my mother and said we don't know what to do about your child and she says what has she done now <laughs> really i'm what? five what could i have possibly done and they said what well, we have nothing for her to do she has read every book in both of the classrooms and Amazing. she is bored so huh. they wanted to put me in third grade. And my mother said, no, but you can put her in first grade. And so she put me in first grade. But in first grade, they were starting to do fun things with, 
younger kids, like doing little plays and stuff like that. And mm. I got to do one of these plays, which was about a Thanksgiving turkey gone missing. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, Thanksgiving is such a weird holiday. We don't have it. I know you don't. Basically, what it is supposed to represent is the day that uh, pilgrims and Native Americans set aside their differences and the Native Americans sh shared their food with the starving pilgrims and had this glorious feast as not what actually happened. But anyway, <laughs> I'll just leave that as it is. But, you know, it's a day off for people to stuff themselves silly with turkey and cranberry sauce and various and sundry other things. Mm. So, but this, this was, I was the mother in this particular play. And I remember we were reading through the script and there was this situation where they were like, they had to say the word you know, refrigerator. It's like, well, refrigerator, that's, that's a, that's a lot. Would you say refridge? And I said, no, you just say fridge. It's just fridge. That's the abbreviation. <laughs> like, how can adults not know that it's fridge? That's weird. And so, uh, I, and I really enjoyed learning and doing that play. It, it wasn't very long. I mean, it really was maybe 15 minutes, but hey, yeah. we were amazing for first graders. <laughs> You weren't even a first grader. I, I was technically, just not age-wise. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I, I mean, everybody says, oh, my, my, my kid's so bright. But you fucking proved it. Well, it was, like I said, it was an accident. Uh, my sister just played with me and I learned from what she learned. So... Mm. Which, you know, it's fair that they would have wanted to put me that far advanced because my sister at the time would have been in third grade. And I basically had her knowledge because she kept playing school with me. Yeah, that's that's so cool. I mean, my parents told me that I, um, I taught my brother how to crawl, but I didn't teach him how to fucking read. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't the intent. We were just playing. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So do you have children of your own? I do not. I am barren. and uh, Do you actually have a problem there? Yes, or just... I do. I, I, have, right. I have a condition called polycystic ovary syndrome, which is something that people have only discovered fairly recently. Uh, oh. it's, it's a very strange disease that causes really strange uh, side effects that don't seem to be related at all all and yet are all a part of this mm. so basically its main thing is that cysts continuously form and burst on the ovaries and that makes it really hard for a person to get pregnant and once you're over right. about 35 forget it no fertility treatment in the world is going to help you with that. It also causes very irregular menstrual cycles. Oh, yes, I said the word menstrual. Menstrual. It's okay to talk about it. Oh, dear. In front of a gay as well. I know. It's okay to talk about it, guys. It's okay. Uh, not in front of a gay, I don't think. <laughs> 
So, yeah. And then, and then when I do have those cycles, they are extremely heavy. And instead of lasting for three to five days, it's more like seven to 10 days and it's painful and horrifying and all of those things. But also, you know, it's, it causes infertility. There's an increased risk of different kinds of cancer as far as ovaries and uh, uterus. Uh, But here are the weird things that it causes high cholesterol. Right. Odd discoloration of the skin in places like, you know, your armpits, backs of your knees, and sides of your elbows. Abnormal hair growth. Oh. If I didn't take care of the hair growth on my face, <laughs> even even though the hair is very light, you might think that I was growing in a goatee. <laughs> Great. And, uh, you know, you have to take, you have to get a diabetes test because there's increased risk for diabetes. And just all of these weird things. So yes, I am I am barren. There are no children coming out of my womb, and that's okay. That's okay. Isn't there a nicer way of putting it than barren? I'm sure there's a nicer word. <laughs> I am infertile. Infertile. That's it. <laughs> barren. I mean, I know you described you, but still. Well, it's uh, yeah, it's it, it's it comes from a time when women were uh, judged by their ability to bear children. Bear sons, I should yeah. say, really. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's fine with me because I don't really have the disposition to be a mother. I don't even like holding babies, frankly. So you, you just <laughs> didn't want them anyway. And it was just no. fortunate that you, you know, that it kind of worked. Exactly. That's exactly right. If someone had to be infertile, I'm glad it was me because I had no intention of having children. Hmm. Fair enough. I mean, I had this discussion with my guest a couple of shows ago, Lucy, about how it is okay for women to not want to have children. It absolutely is. And I still find it utterly perplexing that people think that they can tell women, you should want children. Mm -hmm. I mean, fuck off. Yeah, you don't get to tell anyone what they should want. No, no, you do not. Well, otherwise I'd I'd still be wanting the women and, you know, (laughs) some of my best friends are women, but I I don't want to snuggle them. Well, you know, a good cuddle is fine no matter what your your sexual identity is. I just just didn't want to say sex, (laughs) all right? I just didn't want to say sex. It's okay if you don't want to have sex with a lady. It's fine. (laughs) I don't want to have Uh, sex with a lady either. So. Well, there you go. Good. We've we, we got something in common. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about, um, you, you said you were Mormon. Were you, do Mormons have like a christening? Is it the same as the, right, here's the thing. British people are all sort of C of E. Mm-hmm. Which just means sort of a vague kind of Christian until they kind of get rid of it. British people, that 52% of Britain is not religious. And that goes up to about 70% when it's under 30. (laughs) And, um, but that doesn't mean that you weren't christened. You weren't, it was the dumb thing when I was a kid that you were C of E, which stands for Church of England, which is quite an informal, perhaps, version of Christianity, quite kind of relaxed. But everyone still gets christened, which is the full. Water on the head, draw the cross on their forehead, even though people aren't really very religious. And so were you christened like that or was yours a bit more of a, a thing? 
Well, it's not a christening in the LDS religion. You get a baby blessing, which right, you do okay. in one of the church meetings. And it's only the men, of course, because only the men are allowed to hold the priesthood and give blessings, you see. Right. And so the, the father invites all of these people that he wants to ha help him bless the child. And they stand in a circle. And each one of them has a hand on the child, and then their other hand is on the shoulder of the man next to them. And then they're holding the baby, and someone's there holding the microphone for the father so everyone can hear the blessing. And then they do the blessing. And, uh, yeah, I, I've always find, found it very boring. <laughs> Just like, it's a baby. <laughs> you don't even know them yet. So, but what we, what does happen when you're eight years old, which for some reason, the Mormons think that eight years old is the age of accountability, that that's the point where you understand the difference between right and wrong. And I'm like, no, try that at 14, maybe not eight. Yeah. That's when confirmations tend to happen normally, 14. Yeah, but at eight, and this is, this is, I think, something that was very carefully calculated, although I'm sure that no one else inside the church would actually say this, but you're old enough, yes, you are old enough to know the difference between right and wrong, but you're not old enough to understand what you're choosing. So basically, uh, you go through a baptism. And when we talk about baptism in the LDS church, it is not just a sprinkling of water on the forehead. You are fully put under the surface of the water and they brought back up. So, and uh, it's, it, it was a traumatic experience for me because I had never had any swimming training or anything like that. And I was terrified of the water and I didn't want to do it, but right. I had to. And then the next, you do this on a Saturday, and then the next day on Sunday at church, you get confirmed as an actual fully-fledged member of the church. And uh, again, eight, eight years old is not old enough to be making that kind of decision. Yeah, I can see that. So have you seen anything more, perhaps non-religious or anything else, over your time, maybe with your friends, kids, like naming ceremonies or christenings or brisses or anything else from other religions or non-religious folks that you've enjoyed then? Well, the thing is, is it wasn't until probably my mid-20s that I started having friends who weren't LDS because mm. it is just, it's pervasive here. It just is everywhere. They're, they have their hands in everything, including the government. So it's it's inescapable. It's in everyone's daily life, whether they want it there or not. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it influences a lot of other things, like, <laughs> like alcohol laws. I'm not even going to go into the ridiculous alcohol laws in this state. It is unbelievable. Uh, they There's a, a very large... Uh, theater that was built within the last few years that was built specifically to get these bigger, more lavish productions that couldn't be done in the biggest theater that we already had. Right. And they wanted to be able to, to serve alcohol and they were told, okay, well, you have to have a curtain so that no one can see the alcoholic drinks being prepared. Because apparently, if you see someone mixing an alcoholic drink, that makes you want to drink. Really? No. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but that's what they think. 
They don't understand that the reason why there is such a lower rate of DUIs in Utah is because most of the population, you know, like 70% of the population are LDS. And one of the things that LDS people don't do is drink. They don't drink. Well, they don't smoke. They don't swear. You know, all of those things. I mean, I don't drink or smoke, but I swear like a fucking trooper. I, I don't think I could be LDS. Oh, I, I definitely didn't like it. I'm, I much <laughs> prefer saying fuck as much as I possibly can. <laughs> I've, uh, I'm making up for lost time, you see. Do you genuinely feel that, that you're making up for lost time? Yeah, I, I did. Uh, I, it was a long time before I figured out who I really was. And again, my, my husband was very helpful in that. And uh, figure it out. No, I do like saying fuck and shit and all of those other terrible words. And I say them frequently, especially <laughs> if a video game is pissing me off. <laughs> but, but it's just, uh, yeah, it's and, and you will you will hear that in in the Dark Corner podcast. That is definitely not for people who don't like swearing. <laughs> so. Meh. I did, you know, I did think about whether or not I would try and make this a little bit kind of sensible when it comes to swearing and topics and choosing my guests. And I was like, well, no, fuck it. I don't want to be that kind of celebrant. I want, if people listen to this podcast and don't want a celebrant who is comfortable with who they are and comfortable with their guests, et cetera, et cetera, then everybody's dodged a bullet, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I'd just rather be who I am, so. <laughs> totally with you. Yeah. Shall we move on to talking about weddings? And I do know the answer to this because you've already mentioned it, but are you married? Yes, I'm married. I've been married for, oh my word, it's going to be 23 years in October. That is a long time. <laughs> it is, and we still like each other. <laughs> Brilliant. Tell me about your wedding day. Oh, our wedding day. Okay, I should preface this by saying that my mother did not want me to marry my husband. And she made that very clear in all of her actions with helping me to plan the wedding. And so on my wedding day, my sisters literally had to keep her away from me because she was trying to get up in everybody's business every other second and was just driving me crazy. <laughs> I, she had flat out told me about three weeks before the wedding that she didn't understand why I loved him. She, she thought he wasn't attractive and all of, she just said all of these horrible things. And I said, well, mom, uh, you haven't even bothered to ever have a real conversation with Dave. So that's on you. I am marrying him. There is nothing you can do to stop me. So you might as well get used to it. And then I hung up on her. <laughs> Well, I mean, she doesn't need to understand why you love him, because really, only you need to love him, right? Yeah, exactly. But, and she told me I would be divorced within a year. <laughs> well, she has a selective memory, though. She doesn't remember any of these things, and I don't bother no, reminding right. her of them, because it's not necessary. She, no. now, she now loves my husband as if he were her own son, and oh. that's all I can ask for. <laughs> That's really good to hear. I'm glad that things kind of worked out in the end. Yeah, they really, really did. Was it a faith thing? Is he not Mormon? Or was it something to do with that? He's not LDS, but, you know, at that point I was ready to get out of the church anyway. And this was my big escape. 
So right. it was it was I wasn't using him to escape, but it was giving me the freedom to do that. So mm. and uh, you know, she still made us go and talk to the bishop about getting married in the temple. That's a whole other thing about the Mormons. Temple, not church. No, 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 no. There are churches and there are temples. Now, the temples you can only go to if you've been a very good boy or girl. And you do have to be an adult to do so. It's full of Masonic ceremonies and whatnot. And also is very misogynist. Like, you have to have a man pull you through the veil to the other side and give you your new name and all of this baloney that is just... Right. I'm sorry for any Mormons who might be listening to this podcast. Um, do you think many Mormons were absolutely not no (laughs) (laughs) no she wanted to make it about faith but it wasn't really about that and you know she still I, i know deep inside she still fears for my eternal soul and all i can think of when when she says something like that is I can't even remember what it was on, but Stephen Fry was talking about having visited Utah, and he went to Temple Square, which the Salt Lake Temple is like the nexus of the LDS Church. And Mm. uh, he went to Temple Square, and there were the sister missionaries who were taking everyone in a tour through the visitor center, etc. And they stopped at this one display, and they talked about how, you know, children can be sealed to their to their parents for time and all eternity and they can spend forever together and Stephen raised his hand and said I'm sorry what do they get if they've been good (laughs) well done Stephen Fry exactly he was uh, asked to leave and he did but I'm just like dude if I didn't love you before you are now a god in my eyes (laughs) (laughs) so was it a religious wedding no no, it was not a religious wedding. We were married by the bishop of my mother's ward. I'm not going to explain wards and stakes and all that. It's just a congregation name. But, uh, you know, it, we're only married for this life. We don't get to stay married in the afterlife, according to the LDS Church. Really? Right. Anyway, you know, it's like uh, like some god is going to keep me from my husband because uh, we didn't go through some Masonic ceremony. Thank you, no. Don't like that god. So it was only religious in that aspect of it, but uh, other otherwise, no, not a lot of whole, not a whole lot of religious stuff going on there. No, oh, okay. So, what made your wedding unique to you then? What made my wedding unique to me? I don't know that it necessarily was unique. Uh, there were a lot of things where I just kowtowed to my mother to shut her up. I, I love my mother dearly. I, I don't want it to sound like I don't love my mother, but she was just really driving me nuts during this whole time. Mm. And so there were a lot of things that I did that I didn't want to do, but it was the thing that my mother thought I should do. And I just gave up because right. I knew all I wanted was to just be married and to be, you know, with my husband and on our way to our new life. That's what I wanted. So the wedding mm. itself was just a kind of a means to an end. So there wasn't really anything significantly different about it, except that it rained cats and dogs all day. Right. <laughs> it was October 11th, and it rained. And that was actually the first snow in the mountains in Utah on that day. And uh, that was actually really lovely to look up in the mountains and see them be snow-capped because I'm a wintry sort of girl. I enjoy the cold and the dark and the snow and the rain. So, uh, but it did make outside pictures a non-starter. So, that's a shame though, because wedding photos with 
snow-capped mountains in the background. Mm. Really cool. Yeah, but not when it's literally just a deluge outside, which it was no. for the whole day. It did not let up once. <laughs> I didn't want frills. I wasn't one of those girls who dreamed about their wedding day being this perfect day. A wedding day, in my opinion, is for the guests, not the bride and groom. The bride and groom go through the most stress of anyone. And this is supposed to be their special day, but it's really for everybody else to come together and celebrate this thing. So I just wanted to get it done, get out. But it's kind of didn't work that way because we got married at about 11 in the morning and then we had to have the wedding breakfast at a place that I hated and then you know there was the reception and finally after the reception we were on our way and oh I could just breathe a sigh of relief for a little while right I mean you are the first person that's come on and said that their wedding made them have a sigh of relief I mean (laughs) do you you have any funny stories related to your wedding (laughs) There was a situation where some family friends did come to the reception. Unfortunately, it was a a husband and wife. I knew their children. And uh, unfortunately, the gentleman had uh, split his pants in the uh, back crotch area. Oh, dear. When he sat down at one of the tables, my father somehow found out about it and was doing everything he could to to help this guy out and it was just it was just kind of precious cuz my dad is just one of those was what I should say was one of those people unfortunately he passed in 2005 but uh, mm. he was one of those people that was just like that quiet giant but he would give you the shirt off his back if it could help you and uh, this gentleman said to me later your father is just such an exceptional man he was so concerned and just did everything he possibly Possibly could he just bent over backwards trying to make sure I was okay? Well, if he was bending over backwards, he risked breaking his own. Pants I, I, I no, his pants fit just fine. They were fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was kind of cute and amazing. Um, but that's just that was just my dad. I my dad was just a very special human being, and I don't know that he was appreciated for that as much as he should have been while he was still among us. Mm. So, what song did you pick for your first dance? Oh, we did not dance at my wedding. <laughs> oh, what? No, no first dance? No, 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 no. We we don't dance <laughs> at all. I mean, I like that. I'm all about making your wedding day what you want it to be, but bloody mm-hmm. hell, no first dance. No, there there was no dancing involved. There was, my sister was basically uh, playing a, a playlist during the reception, but uh, mm. again, just didn't want to deal with all of that stuff. I just didn't want it. So, and Dave wasn't particularly excited about having a dance either. So we just, uh, we skipped that. <laughs> didn't do it. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Okay, so we're now going to move on to talking about death. And again, you have touched on this a little bit earlier. Uh, first question's uh, quite a personal one. Are you scared of death? Um, yes and no. Go on. I think I'm scared of dying too early. I don't want to die before my husband because I don't want him to be alone. <laughs> I keep telling them we're going out together like Thelma and Louise, but, uh, you know, you don't get to pick that. Nobody gets to pick that. So I fear, you know, 
it's it's not a persistent fear. It's not something I think about all of the time because if I did, I would go insane. But there are times where I'm just laying down to sleep. And I'm like, what if I don't wake up? And I'm like, well, okay, I'm really awake now. Really awake now. <laughs> well, yes, that does seem like a thing that would keep you awake. So it's it's not so much that I, I fear death because death is what gives life meaning. If life were infinite, there would be no joy left in anything because mm. what there would be no consequences for anything. So yeah. I, I feel that death is a necessary part of life because it makes way for new things and mm. new mm. people and all of those things. I'm, I don't know why I'm getting so philosophical right now, but there it is. <laughs> so. There's nothing wrong with philosophy. That's no, I know. That's the point of the podcast. You, you continue philosophizing. Well, my husband's way better at it. He actually has a minor in philosophy. He would have had a major in philosophy, but the university he went to didn't offer it as a major. So he has a minor oh. in philosophy. And uh, I've, I've learned a lot from him in that regard about what philosophy is and what it isn't. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, I, I, think, I think it's not a fear of death so much as a fear of the unknown because none of us truly know if there's anything after this. No. I've always, perhaps a little flippantly, you know, said to people, if you're right and I'm wrong, then I would like to think that God would see that I've done good despite the fact I didn't pray to him. Yeah, I say that I am agnostic. It may sound wishy-washy to people, but honestly, I don't know whether to believe in anything. I know I don't mm. believe in the Mormon God because the Mormon God is pretty much a cosmic terrorist withholding his love if you don't do exactly what he says. <laughs> so I just, I'm not on board with that. I think agnostic shaming is something that happens on both sides. You'll get atheists giving agnostics a hard time but also you'll get religious folk giving agnostics a hard time and just leave each other the fuck alone is kind of my philosophy on it all. Yeah, I feel like everybody, you do you. And yeah, yeah. as long as you're not hurting other people, f believe whatever it is makes you feel better about yourself and about your life. Absolutely. I've never found anything outside of myself that makes me feel better about my life. So... I'm not going to put my faith in things outside of myself when I am the one who's in control of my own destiny. Yeah, that seems about right. So, again, something you've touched on, but have you ever experienced the death of a loved one? Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, my father died in 2005. He had stage four cancer. And uh, he'd had a rough rough life health-wise. He had mm. rheumatic fever when he was a teenager, and they didn't expect him to survive that, but he did. And, right. uh, you know, there were, there were certain things like he was one of nine children. He was like eighth of nine children, and he was raised on a farm. And he was raised in this little town called Arco, Idaho, which is just very short distance from the first nuclear reactor in the United States of America. Right, wow. A lot of people worked at that reactor, and they didn't know everything about radiation shielding that they do now. And in fact, there were times where there would be a strange red dust on all of the crops. 
Oh, shit. Yeah. And they just went, oh, that's red dust. I guess uh, somebody, you know, one of the kids got the rust from their hair on our crops again because, you know, family redheads there. <laughs> Irish and, and Scotch uh, ancestry there on both sides of my family, really. Yeah, I, I'm I'm sure that my father probably developed cancer from that. And there are still people fighting to get compensation from all of these people who have died of cancer who worked mm. at that reactor. And it, the, the, the statistics don't lie, right? They don't. But the government's stance is always, well, all the science isn't in yet. It's like, okay, my father's family, two parents, right? Nine children. Of those nine children, seven of them died from some form of cancer. That's science. Holy shit. That's science. That's, yeah. that's heartbreaking. It is, because he was only 66 when he passed. And, you know, my mother is 82 now and still just kicking right along. And uh, mm -hmm. she's been without my father all this time because, yeah. you know, they just, I, I think he was one of those people that he knew something was wrong, but he didn't want yeah. to find out. And so the cancer was found when he was already in stage four. Good grief. Yeah. By the time they found it, you know, six months later, he was gone. Right. So nobody expected it except for me and Dave, because my mother, you know, still LDS, she wanted the priesthood to come and give him a blessing. And they did. And this bishop who gave the blessing said all of these things like, you'll still have many more years upon this earth. And that to this day makes me absolutely furious at the irresponsibility mm. of saying that to someone. Yeah. You don't get to say stuff like that. And so my mother was completely blindsided when he passed away. But on the day that he died, I knew he was going to die because my mother had called me in the morning and she says, I think you need to come down here. Your dad is not doing well. He, he had already been in the hospital for mm. various other reasons. But when I saw him, it's a weird way to say it, but I saw death on his face. I don't know how else to explain it. Yeah, that's... As metaphors go, it's a, one that's easy to understand. It's, it's not pleasant, though, is it? No, it is not. It is not. And the thing is, is that this faith in that blessing made everybody else just like, what? What? How did this happen? And I would have people, you know, coming up to us at the viewing, oh, the viewing, coming up to us at the viewing and saying, oh, this was such a surprise. It was so unexpected. And I'm just looking at them like, no, it wasn't. He had stage four cancer. Did you say that to people? Uh, no, not in that way. <laughs> not in that way. I, I mean, grief is a weird thing. Mm -hmm. No one would judge you if you got angry because people get angry when they they have serious grief. Yeah, and and I was just I I maintained a a calm outer appearance, but inside I was just boiling, and I thought I can't do this because. It would just upset my mother more, and I just wasn't going to add to that grief for her. No. That that was just completely unnecessary. So, but yeah, that was that was a hard one because my dad and I were very much alike. We were just kind of quiet, but if you gave us the chance to really talk about something we knew and loved, we you couldn't shut us up. My dad was also really into video games, and uh, I shared a lot of his loves. Like, he really loved airplanes, jets, etc. 
So do I. Really loved ships, all kinds of ships, boats, whatnot. So do I. Mm. Classic cars. So do I. Did he like Trek? Yes, he loved <laughs> Trek, and so does my mother. We were a Trek family. It was a family <laughs> affair. So, which we would we would watch the original series together when it was in syndication, and then when Next Generation came along, we watched that as family. Deep Space Nine came along, watched that as a family. By the time Voyager came along, we were kind of like not all in the same house anymore, but we've always, always been watching Trek. Even now that we are apart and have our own family units, we all still watch Trek. The question I normally ask next is, do you want to be buried or cremated? But I'm not even sure what the culture is regarding cremation in America. Do you get many cremations? Yes, yes, there there are a lot of cremations in America. Um, And I I do want to be cremated. There is no reason to dig a hole in the ground and bury me and become worm food. There's already plenty of people into the ground to the place, to the point where, and, and this is a big problem in Utah, cemeteries have run out of room. Right. This is also because of this whole LDS thing where they all believe that they'll be resurrected at the second coming of Christ. So okay. uh, you have to have your body intact. And I'm like, well, what about people who were who died in a house fire were cremated that way? I mean, what, <laughs> are they just SOL? But, you know, yeah. I don't I don't say those things to religious people because it doesn't uh, it it reflects more on me than it does on them. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's very much my attitude these days. Just because you find things frustrating that give other people some solace some comfort doesn't mean you should make their life more difficult. Just just keep your gob shut up. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I would prefer people do to me is just, oh, if you, if you don't like Star Trek, I don't want to hear about it. You know, you don't need yeah. to tell me about how much you don't like it. If you don't like video games, you don't need to come to me and tell me how much you don't like it. That is not helpful in any way. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think there's a mutual respect of giving each other a nod, knowing you don't agree, mm-hmm. and it not fucking mattering. Yeah, exactly. If we could all just do that as a world, we would... I don't know that we'd be in this situation we are right now. <laughs> yeah. So you want to be cremated? Yeah. And um, do you think that would upset your Mormon... Family? Oh, that it absolutely would upset my mother. The rest of my family, no. My sisters would not care. In fact, my sister Brooke, my younger sister, she and I are about a year apart, so uh, we were closer mm. as far as uh, playing together and stuff like that. And I was with my older sister. Right. But uh, she is going to donate her body to science. So. Okay. She has spent a lot of time in the healthcare industry teaching anatomy classes, and she's a certified massage therapist. She put together a lot of nursing programs for uh, local schools, and now she currently works for Salt Lake County as an HR manager at which she excels. But uh, she's just like, yeah, yeah, they can have my body for science because she's been through some things in her life that uh, would make her uh, body a good one for study. So that's what she's doing with her body. So she would absolutely have no problem with that. And I am an organ donor. So if they, if they decide that any of my organs are fit to take from me, they are welcome to them. If my death can <laughs> save somebody's life, hey, that's a great thing. That's brilliant. So would you have a say in this? And if you do, would you, you'd, you'd 
doesn't sound like you'd want an open casket for yourself. Oh, dear God, no. No, there will be no viewing. There will be absolutely no viewing at my funeral. In fact, it won't be a funeral. It will be a wake. I will not have a funeral. (laughs) I'm just not doing that BS. No, sorry. I'm just going to say I'm not doing that bullshit, man. Not doing that bullshit. It's just celebration. Celebration is my feeling. Celebrate my life. Don't mourn my death. You'll have plenty of time to do that. Let's have one last party. Mm. And I mean, in Britain, it, you don't need to have a funeral legally. A lot of people don't know that. Mm. Um, you can talk to your funeral director if you don't want a funeral for your loved one. You don't have to have one. And people are surprised by that. But people are also surprised when, you know, I tell them you can do what the hell you like at your funeral. The crematorium staff aren't going to judge you if you want. If you want a clown at your funeral, you can have it, mm. you know. And people seem to have it in their head that what they see as the norm is the legal reality. Mm. And do you think there's an element of that with the open casket in America? It's possible. I I don't really understand the open casket thing. I don't know if it just goes back to the really old, old days, the old beginnings of the country when, you know, people would lay out their dead before burying them. I don't understand that. I've never understood that. It's like, it's just, you know, you're not paying respect to the person. That's just an empty shell now. I'm not saying desecrate bodies or anything like that. I'm just saying that that's not them anymore. It's kind of where they used to be. Yeah. It's like, it's like a (laughs) vacant house now. Why do you want to tour this vacant house? It's weird. (laughs) Mm. I just find it fascinating because it's completely alien to our culture. But we all know about it because American culture is so prevalent in our in our telly in mm-hmm. our films and in our everyday life it is as the world is getting smaller it feels like american culture is known around the world more than anybody else's yeah it's too bad i'm sorry about that <laughs> i didn't say it was a bad thing there's a lot of good stuff with american culture just the way you deal with dead bodies freaks me out it it freaks me out too it has always been very uncomfortable for me because you know there are people who will take children to viewings and i just think why are you traumatizing that child nobody needs mm. to spend time with a dead body when they're eight years old just no. I mean, kids are already, they have plenty of time to face mortality. You don't need to jumpstart it that young. Mm. So have you thought about the kind of things that you'd like at your funeral? Do you have a reading that you think you'd like? No, basically, I think what I would want is just to be cremated and then to have my urn with whatever friends and family uh, are still around and just have a party, have food and drink and play some of my favorite music. Right. So you wouldn't have like a formal ceremony, like a, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have the funeral itself at the crematorium, you, you're saying. No. But you'd have like a, like almost like a wake. Would you mm-hmm. have any kind of form of ceremony, like a memorial with, led by a priest or a celebrant or a efficient, I think is the term you use in America? Or would you not even bother with that? No, I don't think I'd even bother with that. I I don't like this whole formality about mm. putting someone to rest, you know? Just have a party. Just enjoy yourselves. 
talk about me fondly, I hope. <laughs> mm. maybe, maybe put the urn in the dance floor and everybody can have yep. a dance around it. Yeah. I was being sarcastic. But... No, but better yet, I feel like they should suspend it from the ceiling and <laughs> like a disco ball. <laughs> that might be more appropriate. <laughs> I don't even know if you're being serious. I'm, I'm actually thinking about it now. I think, actually, that would be pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be typical, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't You're want. definitely not typical. <laughs> so, yeah. right, I, before we go, I want your playlist for your funeral. What songs would have to be on the, on the playlist for people to dance around your own? Well, it is, it's all pretty much going to be goth music. So. Good. <laughs> but there, there will be one slow dance, which is my, my favorite song. Now, I have a difficult time picking favorites because there are so many things that I like and I have trouble choosing one above all others. But I do have a favorite band and of that band, I have a favorite song. It's actually, right. uh, something that I covered on Pick a Disc with Matt Latham. And the song is, uh, Enjoy and Sorrow by him. And uh, so that is that is the one song that's requisite to be played at my funeral. <laughs> I do like me some him. I adore them. And unfortunately, they're no longer together. But hey, they lasted 25 years, which is just fine. And they didn't depart hating each other or anything like that. They just had done everything mm. that they wanted to do. And they were moving on to new things. There's still room in there mm. for a reunion tour someday. I mean, I mean, him aren't my favourite of the gothy band. That honour would go to The Cure. Mm. And depending on whether or not Nine Inch Nails counts as a gothy band, I would definitely have them involved as well. Yeah, well, my husband is way better at determining genres. I think he would classify Nine Inch Nails as maybe a bit more industrial. True. But but it's definitely dear to all of the gothy people, don't get me wrong. So. Mm, mm. But yeah, and, and here's the funny thing. I'm going to say something very embarrassing. Um, I never got into The Cure. <gasps> but, but, but how did you watch The Crow without... Without loving the cure. No, it's uh, just, I mean, it's fine. Oh. It's not like I don't dislike the cure. I just don't have this reverence for it that I do for other things. I just, it's weird. I know. It, so no cure at your wake? If if my husband's still alive, he can play some cure. <laughs> right, good. Good, because, you know, I'm not sure I want to go to a goth funeral if there's no cure. <laughs> oh, better, better yet. Let us have... At my funeral, because, you know, I've been cremated, have them play Disintegration. So just the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> just the whole thing. That'll work. <laughs> Good. Well, Brandy, it's been a joy having you on. And um, you are the first person I've had on the show that isn't like a close personal friend. And I was a bit nervous. Mm. Thank you for being brilliant and open about... All of your life's milestones. It's been a real joy having you on. Where can people find you on the internet? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Brandywine12, which Brandy is spelled with an I, and the 12 is a number. And you can also find me under Twitter handles for all of those Trek podcasts like Vedic Assembly and Boldly Go Pod. You can find those on Twitter as well. You could find me on Instagram if you wanted to. It's just Brandy Jackala, which is B-R-A-N-D-I-J-A-C-K-O-L-A. -I, I know it sounds way more complicated when I say Jackala, but that's how it's spelled. And uh, yeah, I, I only deal with Facebook when I absolutely have to, so I'm not going to 
I'm not going to say find me there. No, no TikTok. Oh, God, no. I don't even understand TikTok. I'm an old me grumpy neither. lady. <laughs> Honestly, Gen Xers. All my friends who are millennials or even Gen Z are like, oh, TikTok's where it's at. No, no, no TikTok for me. You know, it's always just a flash in the pan because remember when Vine was the thing? Those fuckers haven't even heard of MySpace. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember MySpace. In fact, I'd never closed my MySpace page, so it's still out there in the virtual world somewhere. Do you know, I think mine is still going and I'm pretty sure it's got something really gothy. Have you heard of a band called To Die For? I'm familiar. Yes, very familiar. They were my chosen song on my MySpace, together with my World of Warcraft background. <laughs> I mean, fucking MySpace. Yeah. Actually, looking back at it, it was it was kind of fun. You could do things that you can't really do on social media now. You can't personalize it to no. that degree, unless you build a website. <laughs> I worry about Tom. Do you think Tom's okay? I hope so. I know. He was, like, part of my early 20s, and... I've not spoken to him since. Me either. <laughs> <laughs> and we all mocked him at the time, but now I'm a little bit concerned about him. Tom was everybody's friend. Mm-hmm. Any other plug before we go? Uh, not that I can talk about, so no. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining me, Brandy. It's been brilliant. Oh, well, thank you so much. I've enjoyed myself very much. I just want to say one more thank you to the wonderful Brandy Jackala for her genuine honesty and candidness and strong opinions that I don't think she really minds people hearing. She was a wonderful, wonderful guest. And I think I'm also going to try in future to get some more international people on to do what I did with Brandy, where I talk about the differences in the culture when it comes to all of life's milestones for both British people and people from other countries. I think that's going to be a lot of fun going forward, and I'm going to do that occasionally, deliberately try and get on an international guest. If you want to check out Brandy's stuff, do go to darkcornerpodcast.com. And also, she mentioned the Vedic Assembly, which was her new Star Trek podcast, which has now got its own website as well since we recorded. If you go to hollowsweetmedia.com, for all of those Star Trekky type podcasts. And that's about it from me. But before I go, I am going to let you know that I have started the playlist. After eight episodes of promising to do a playlist, I've done a playlist. And what I'm doing at the moment is I'm adding a couple of people's tracks a week so that I eventually catch up. And then I'll be adding them after each episode goes live once I've caught up. So do check out the Life's Milestones playlist. I do put it quite regularly on my Twitter, which is at Life's Milestones for the show. But look for Life's Milestones playlist on Spotify as well. So thank you so much for joining me for Life's Milestones. And I will see you in a fortnight. Life's Milestones is a podcast by me, Mark Adams. Follow me on Twitter at MarkAdamsHC. That's also my handle for instagram if you're looking for my website it's www.humanist.org.uk forward slash mark adams if you're looking for my facebook it's mark adams humanist celebrant all the information on how to use me as your celebrant is there the show's social media 
is at Life Milestones on Twitter. Other than that, I am just using my celebrant contacts for the show. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Elsewhere, and we made this. Motion pictures. It feels like a film that is a balm. And, and I never I never thought that I would feel that about a Tarantino movie. You know, it is by far his nicest film. <laughs> you know, if, if, you, if you look at it from that context. So I've seen it four times now. I saw it on, on release on the opening weekend. I saw it then over Christmas. Mm. And then I saw it about six weeks ago. I watched it. And then I watched it again last night because we decided to do this. And I really like this film. I think the things you're talking about, I think it's a great hangout film. Yeah. And that's what Tarantino's described some of his films as. Right in the childhood. They don't see the aliens because they're right. always in the tripods. And I think the cool setting though, like, where the, you know, where post-apocalyptic, they've lost all their technology. Yeah. It's become very popular, like very, very popular recently. But this is still prime for a remake, I think. I'd love yeah, to see I that. See I could see it, yeah, especially with shows that you see now that Ryan Oxford up to use comeback and stuff like that. For all those dystopian ones like Westworld and all that chance. Seeming like it could be if it's the right person. Like, I, I get mad, like the BBC It's fundamentally so, British. I wouldn't want an American remake. No, no HBO. Well, unless it's HBO. <laughs> Pick a disc. When watching Fries, was, I mean, was you, how hard was it to not think of, oh, if I was, if I was behind the same desk, I'd be... Oh, gigs are ruined for me forever. Yeah, it's... <laughs> you know, there'll be something that, you know, like a reverb will happen, and I'll go, oh, that was nice. And then all my mates are like, Ben, stop it. <laughs> just enjoy the gig. Um, the first thing I'll do is I'll always just poke my head over and just go, oh, you're using a Midas Pro 2. Interesting. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah, Digico SD7. Right, nice. And then the first thing I do and take a picture of it, and they're like, man, you're such a nerd. And, yes, I know. Um, yeah, and it's, but I love it. And that's kind of part of the enjoyment these days. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This podcast network. <laughs>